Before we go into the podcast, I want to just talk about a business that I've set up with my friend George. Uh, it is called the Podcast Introduction Group. So if you want to join and be able to be featured on 24 to 48 pods, podcasts to be able to reach an amazing audience, this is the place you need to go to. Podcast being a guest on podcasts is automatically establishing you as an authority and is able to build your personal and professional brand. We handpick of a bank of podcasters that we have to be able to grow your business and brand. We do a hundred percent of everything that needs to be done by my team. You do not need to lift a finger. You are able to expose yourself to new and relevant markets by going on other people's podcasts. You also are able to create brand loyalty. People will love listening to you and coming back to your products or services, and it's able to increase your revenue. So if you want to be able to get involved, you can sign up quickly registered with a with an account manager there's an onboarding call where we target the podcasts that you want to be on the type that you want whether it's entrepreneurship business health fitness whatever it is we then match you to those podcasts and you can start your journey we have regular catch-ups with our account managers and google ranks you when people search for you so when people are searching for you you're able to see your podcast at the top of the list. So if you're interested in being a podcast guest on multiple podcasts, we are the place to go. If you go to podcastintroduction.com and go and register your details, we will have an, a, a quick call with you, uh, match your, your podcast that you want to be on, and we can then start this process ASAP. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Back onto the podcast then. Just one last thing before we go into the podcast, I just wanted to talk to you about the fact that I have a YouTube channel that has been going for quite some time and I am recording and releasing all of my interviews with some short videos as well on YouTube. So please do check it out, YouTube on Absolute Business Mindset. You'll see a bunch of interviews there, all the longer format interviews and some short videos as well. So please enjoy that. And here goes with the podcast interview. Today we have William Buse, who is a strategic mentor, speaker and author. Hello, William. How are you today? Hello, Mark. Very, uh, very well. Thank you. And thank you for uh, inviting me along here. It's an absolute pleasure. And I'm, I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about today, about your career, your businesses, and we're going to go in, spend plenty of time on your current business model that you have now, which I think is fascinating as a strategic mentor. Um, but as we always do, um, at the first question that I ask is the podcast is called The Absolute Business Mindset. What does a business mindset mean to you? You know, I think it's it's such an important thing. How we think, how we think automatically when we're not, uh, you know, focusing our thoughts, just the things we think about every day, those create the mindset that we have, I think. And so for me, a business mindset is one that uh, focuses your thoughts on what do I need to do to serve my customers? What are the things that really work for them? And making those things habitual. Uh, and I'm sure we'll touch on a number of aspects of that through our conversation. But but that's for me what a business mindset is about. It's not some, you know, it doesn't require a, a, an, you know, a university degree or a postgraduate degree to acquire. It's about 
thinking about the people that you serve, the customers that you have, and making sure that you're doing the very best that you can do for them. And serving customers is so important. It comes up, it comes up quite a lot. And there's a reason why it comes up because they're your, they're the lifeblood of a business. You need customers and you need yeah. to serve them incredibly well to be able to get referrals, renewed con, renewed contracts. So, um, I totally agree with serving customers. The thing you said that interestingly at the start was, uh, it was about, making them habitual or making them automatically you, like what you what you think that's an interesting not something that comes up very often but that whole idea of being able to have them so ingrained in you that they are an automatic response can we explore that a little bit further yeah of course i mean i think you your listeners may well have heard of the uh, the sort of if chain of events from when you first start something being uh consciously incompetent um you know that you don't know enough to do it and then you become consciously competent as you learn how to do something and and gradually that becomes unconsciously competent and i think that's part of what i mean about making things habitual so that for example if a client phones up with a challenge uh, as a business mentor you know my role is to help them understand what that challenge is in all of its guises and to help them find the solutions that will work for them. And what I have tried to do habitually and have made a habit now over the years I've been working in my business is to ask questions that unlock thinking rather than questions that close it down. Um, And so that the power of questioning to help people get to grips with what they're doing has for a while at least was unconsciously competent when i wrote my book which we'll also probably talk about because i had to make those things consciously competent again because i had to describe them in ways that people could understand when they read the book so that was that was an interesting uh aspect of of the journey that i've been on we'll probably come back to that as well i'm sure I think it's interesting about you say like un- unlocking thinking because as a, as, as someone who's had coaches and mentors, your, your thought process is in some ways with a mentor is changed because you're, you're, you'll be, you're exploring areas that you might not necessarily have thought about and really sort of delve too deeply into, but those sort of mindset shifts that you can have and and unlocking thinking i think that's a really interesting way of explaining being a mentor by sort of revealing things that sometimes they're 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 in plain sight it's just we don't necessarily always think about them because sometimes they are automatic yeah i think that's really true and it's uh you know part of my job part of my day-to-day role is about explaining the landscape so that people can see what is in plain sight um it's often it might be hard to see even when it is in 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 view as it were it might be well camouflaged in the melee of running a business all sorts of things get buried in the noise uh, mm-hmm. as i like to describe it and just the, the whole process of talking to somebody who uh has got an understanding of business in general, they will sometimes see the landscape from a different perspective. Right. And something that we comes up from time to time, but I, I, I want to ask you is what's your definition and maybe difference between what a mentor is versus a coach? 
Yeah, it's a great question, and and it's I think an important one, um, and I think they both have absolutely have their place in the business environment, and perhaps put into the mix also consultants uh, as well. So because I think they're part of the same scale. So for me, um, a coach is somebody who brings their questioning and their skill at uh, opening people's uh, minds to the things that they already know the things they have experience of and to allow them time and space to think about how they want to use what they already know to further their business what a mentor brings that a coach doesn't is that they have a deep experience of running businesses in in certainly in my case you know, I've been in the insurance industry and then in uh, running my own business for uh, nearly 20 years now and so what we can do as mentors is not just look at the situation that the the business is in but also bring to bear some of our experience and share that experience where it's relevant to do so and i think the skill of a of a good mentor is knowing when it's relevant mm-hmm. um consultancy just to complete this progression consultancy i think is where you bring into the business skills uh, because of their experience elsewhere to do what they have done elsewhere. So uh, the mentor kind of sits between those two extremes. One that's looking at helping the business to understand what it already knows and can already do, uh, and one that comes in and does things for the business as a consultant. And the mentor's trying to balance those two things. It's not. I'm not saying for a moment that it's better or worse. The different circumstances need each of those uh, three types of working. And... When you need coaching, you should work with a coach. When you need consulting, you should hire a consultant. And when you need a mentor, you should use a mentor. Yeah. They're just working in different ways. Yeah. They do slightly different things and there's different, different ways of presenting and, and, and sharing information. Absolutely. Um, right. Let's go all the way back to, towards the start. So Mm -hmm. tell me one thing about your upbringing, which reflects about who you are now. We'll be back after a quick break. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Um. Well, I was uh, I was born in um, Manchester in the northwest. I was brought up in uh, Cheshire. Uh, my father was involved in the chemical industry. Um, he was a rubber scientist. Worked at ICI for many years, and then uh, another rubber company in Manchester. Uh, industrialist, you might call them today. Yeah. Um, my mother was a magistrate, um, and my grandfather was also involved in the law. So I had quite a strong kind of legal training background as a child, and it taught me the importance of good questions, even all the way back then, and how a, a good lawyer will ask the questions that, that elicit the information they need to give the best advice. That stuck with me. Um, and then I joined the insurance industry, uh, and I remember... I, I 
had a bit of a checkered career at university. I went to study biochemistry and really didn't get on with it. Um, I thought I would enjoy it and found I was, I was just not enjoying it at all. Um, changed tack kind of mid course, which I remember worried my parents because they, they thought I was kind of losing my way a little bit, perhaps. Um, and when I joined the insurance industry, I remember my father kind of breathing a sigh of relief that his boy had got a career. You know, it was uh, <laughs> so that was all okay. And I had 22 years in the insurance industry and I did, you know, I, I enjoyed it. it. was A lot of it was about numbers and analysis. I was uh, an underwriter. So I was working out uh, elements of risk and how to price for uh, uncertainty, uh, all elements that I think bring I can bring to bear today that you know being really uh, comfortable with uncertainty um, allows me to support business owners today that are feeling worried because they're uncertain particularly in today's climate mm. um, and I you know take a an underwriter's view of that is well there are things that might happen and there's a, you know and, and there are things that might not happen and how likely are they and what's the consequences if they do and what do we do to prepare for that? Um, and those are the sorts of things that I can bring to bear in my mentoring today that I draw from the insurance industry. So, uh, yeah, I ended up in uh, the late 1990s and very early 2000s. Um, I think it was about 2001 I left Lloyd's TSP to set up my own business. Um, and, you know, at that time I was uh, chief underwriter for Lloyd's TSP. It was a you know, big job. Um and head of business risk management as well. So I was kind of doing two roles. It was high powered, high stress, um, you know, but it also wasn't giving me the satisfaction that I wanted, that I was making a the difference that I felt I, I was, you know, put here to, to deliver. Um, one of the things that I learned that, that I really enjoyed when I was in the insurance industry was, creating um, teams, running projects, um, bringing together groups of people, making them effective as a team. And, of course, I bring that now to bear on the businesses I work with as well. Um, there is there's a real pleasure for me in seeing um, the skills and the development of those skills in people so that they can become the masters of their own destiny. It's no wonder, therefore, that my book's called Intentional Mastery. Um, you know, it is about being intentional and it is about being the best you can be um, and taking great joy in what you do uh, in helping others through your work. So so let's just touch on the insurance. Right? So you're there for 22 years, something like that, 20 odd years? Uh, 20, yeah, 21 and a bit years. Getting so, very so, 22, but not quite. So, so we... I don't get a lot of people that have been through the insurance um, process and, and, and done jobs in insurance. So, so just for those of us that, that, that are not well-versed in insurance. So you're, you're calculating, you're, are you calculating the likelihood of, was it, was it car? Was it life? Was it, uh, what type of insurance were you working in? I was, I was always involved with, um, not life insurance, but everything else. So I, I, when I was in my last role, we were looking after motor insurance, household insurance, private medical, those sorts of things. Um, I always think motor is the easiest uh, 
type of insurance to kind of explain the principles with because most people drive and they understand and it's compulsory. So if they drive, they've got insurance, at least they should have. <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> so, the, you know, the principle is, is it's actually really simple. It's saying let's everybody pay a small amount into a pot so that when something uh, unexpected and unfortunate happens to a few people, the pot has enough money in it to put that right. And that's the underlying principle of all insurance, really. Um, of course, what happens uh, is that for those people who put money in year after year after year, never make a claim because they don't have that unfortunate accident, um, it feels, or it can feel like, um, you know, it's an expensive and uh, a way of just putting money away to some insurance company that, it's got deep pockets and and anyway you know the rumors are they never pay the claim when would well, you know uh, when- what i had someone on a couple of months ago and they said that the reason why they 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 why they value insurance business ex- uh, insurance specifically was it is always there if you need it and fingers crossed you never have to need to use it but it gives that element of security that if if the worst did happen then you've got some cover there. And certainly in business, having insurance to cover the risks that you face as a business is, you know, it's not just best practice. It can save your business in circumstances you may not expect. You know, I'm sitting in the office that I have here. Um, If this was to burn down, um, I've got, you know, I've done sensible precautions to make sure things like my data is not all here it's off-site as well it's in the cloud so that would be all right but for a while of course i wouldn't have this building mm-hmm. so i'd have to change the way i work and insurance would cover the costs of that it would allow me to hire a space in a you know in, a, in an office block or whatever i needed to do and that would mean i could keep my business running whereas if i didn't have the insurance i'd also have to then think about how do i manage the rebuilding and all of those other things and pay for it. Um, you know, so I take the view you need to do the sensible things like backup offsite and all those things with our data that don't cost a lot. Um, you probably don't necessarily need insurance for that, but for the things where you would have a significant impact on your business, whatever those were, and each business is different, you know, so you have to look at your risks as a, as a business and work out which are the ones that are most important for you, then ensure those risks um, sensibly um, and to the right level. And you can then just focus on delivering what your business does in the best way that it can, knowing that you've got that security in the background. Do you know something else? I think this is a perception of people the general public and insurance and you being actually on the inside the insurance companies if they if something happens so let's just say you're giving a building insurance and your house burns down the insurers are looking for reasons to not pay out clauses in in contracts and whatnot is that a fair perception or do you feel that actually there's valid reasons why they don't pay out i don't think it is a fair perception i i recognize that it is a fairly widely held perception but that doesn't 
make it accurate. Sure. I was always in treating our claims people to, you know, that we would always pay any valid claim as quickly as we could and with the minimum fuss that we could. Now, there's an important word in there, which was valid. And, and sadly, because insurance companies pay money out, there are those uh, people and sometimes organized, sometimes just uh, individuals who seek uh, to get that money when they're not entitled to it. So insurance companies, in fairness to all the people who are making valid claims, need to make sure that the claim is valid because the few that aren't would either end up costing you and I more money in premiums um, or they would lead us to having policies that weren't actually covering the things that we need covered. So. Yes, we do have to jump through a few hoops as individuals if we need to make a claim, but the hoops are there to make sure that we're genuine mm. and that we're entitled to what we're now seeking in, in the contract that we have. And it is just a contract like any other business contract. So, um, you know, I think it's it's a shame that we have to do that, but it is the world that we live in where there are those who would seek to cheat and lie to get their way. It's not that common, but it's common enough that if the industry didn't do those checks, it would create a much higher cost insurance market. And that would mean some people who really need insurance wouldn't be able to afford it. And I think that's what we have to bear in mind. We'll be back after a quick break. If you want tips and strategies on how to start, grow, and monetize your business online, check out the Digital Revolution podcast with Eli Adams. We interview digital experts from around the world that share their personal stories. They talk about what they're currently working on and where they see the future going. But most importantly, they share tactics in their specific area of expertise with the hope of helping you improve your digital presence online. You can listen to the Digital Revolution podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, or simply click on the link in the show notes below. Right. So let's move away from the insurance. So correct me how the, the, the chronologically it works. So you set up the X10 Club, which was an executive level advisory network. And then we've also got Abelard Management Services Limited and then Will Imbust as a mentor. Yeah. So where does where do they actually fit in it's together? Yeah, it's, it's been a very interesting journey. So I uh, I formed uh, Abelard in, when I left the insurance industry. Uh, Abelard's actually named after Peter Abelard, who was a French uh, writer in the 12th century. Um, and he was separated from his lover, Eloise. Um, and... He wrote letters, and my mother used his name as a pen name uh, just after the war when she was corresponding with friends at a time when mail in the UK was occasionally still open. So they used pen names just to protect the innocent. And she chose Abelard, and my father had a company called Abelard. And when I uh, set up the company in 2001, my father had retired the company, but the name was still available and the domain. So I resurrected it. It's like a family business that had a little hiatus. Nice. that time, most of my clients were still in the insurance sector because that was where my history was. So I was working with insurance companies and brokers and, and a couple of trade associations within the industry. Um, 
2008 came along, you know, the, the banking crisis, and I uh, a lot of uh, investment in the kind of change management support and change management mentoring that I was doing in the insurance industry just dried up um, because they stopped doing projects. And that was about the time I started the X10 Club, which was a way of bringing senior execs uh, together to discuss the challenges that they had within their businesses collectively, and I facilitated that. And I still do that in a slightly different form today. I'll I'll come to that in a moment. Um, That all ran uh, very well, and and the business was really successful in the post the banking crisis in 2008, but it had attracted a different group of, a different clientele, no longer just in the insurance industry, but more widely than that. And I found that I was uh, being asked to work one-to-one with uh, business leaders and particularly business owners of smaller businesses. And I really enjoyed that. I found it um, really rewarding because I was getting back down to those basics of helping them to build the right team around them and and I was able to share the knowledge and experience I'd had from going through recessions and changing industries and all the learning that came with that, which was really relevant to that group. So the X10 Club kind of morphed into what I now call mastery groups, same principle, right. small groups of business leaders where I'm facilitating a collective discussion using processes that I've developed over the years that really help them to both be heard and to bring their experience to bear for everybody in the room so that's quite exciting um and uh, and i'm working uh, one-to-one as a business mentor with business owners and that you know is all about who i am because these people come because it's william buced not because it's habillard or the x10 club or any of those yeah. things so they come for me and that's why today mostly i just trade using my name okay Okay, that makes sense. So why don't you tell me about your uh, audit report that you do? So I've got on the website, again, this is related to the uh, the book and intentional mastery. In the book, I talk about um, five levels of mastery on that journey to becoming the best you can be in your, in your own chosen market. Um, starting with explorers, people who know very little, seeking knowledge, um, novices who know enough do a bit of the work but are not yet skilled developing the skills practitioners people who are uh, good at what they do um but not yet expert who are gathering experience the experts uh, who know the subject in detail have narrowed down probably to something quite quite niche uh, and all the way along to that niched narrow expertise they've been gathering something they didn't have either knowledge or skills or experience but as experts work on narrowing perhaps even further and getting to know their subject their topic the thing they do really intimately well in every aspect they start to get insights about how what they do can be applied in other contexts and that's when mastery starts to appear so my uh, mastery groups are about helping people to make that journey collectively as a as a small group um, and supporting each other while they do that. And the mentoring work that I do one-to-one also predominantly focused on helping those business owners who are seeking to uh, develop mastery to do that. And the audit um, allows us to do a quick check. It takes five or six minutes to fill in. It's a, a self-assessment of 
the various aspects of running a business and where uh, people think they are on that journey right now. Uh, and then I produce a report from the back of that. And this isn't an automated report. It doesn't use AI. It uses my eyes and my thinking because I want oh, wow. to bring okay. the right advice uh, for the individuals that fill it in. Um, so if you fill it in, a couple of days later, you'll get a report from me with some uh, advice and guidance on where to focus to get the best improvement in your business in the fastest time. And then if people want to, we can have a more detailed conversation and explore that some more. And and would you look at uh, sales and marketing? Would you look at operations? Would you look at strategic levels? Or do you cover all aspects of the business after the report? So focus on five areas, four of them business-focused, one of them that isn't, and I'll come back to that one. So the four business-focused ones, uh, I label them all with an S just because we like labels that all have the same letter. So I talk about signposting, which covers all your communication, marketing comms, internal comms, those sorts of things. Uh, Skills, the skills you have, and importantly, the skills you need in your business. Those two may not be uh, quite the same. Um, Sales because without sales, we are uh, we don't have a business if we don't make sales. So that, I think that's pretty key to most businesses. Sure. And systems, so how well automated uh, are those things which it's possible to automate within your business and, and look at where you need to focus to, uh, to free up time to use the intellectual property better if you've got all the uh, systems background admin um systematized properly so those are the four business areas and then the the fifth area is about the business owner themselves um and in that we look at why are they looking after themselves because if as business owners if we're not uh, fit and healthy and well then the business probably won't be fit and healthy and well either um so that looks at things like emotional awareness um mental resilience, physical well-being, um, and, and looking at how you're looking after all of those things. And are you targeting small businesses or uh, larger businesses? Um, predominantly small businesses, um, not necessarily, you know, established small businesses, people who've been in business for a little while, uh, who know that they are not yet achieving the, the kind of big goal that they set when they started the business. Uh, maybe have stalled a little bit. It's very common as businesses develop that some things take you a little bit off track or or get in the way or elements that you didn't anticipate when you started the business that are getting in the way today. And and so part of what I can do is is bring some guidance to bear on how to get around those blocks or over them or through them or (laughs) whichever way we need to do Uh, and reconnecting business owners with the vision and the goal that they had when they started the business. So I, I tend to work with businesses, as I say, two or three years old or older, um, maybe have a few staff, but not massive. And, you know, turning over anything from, you know, a couple of hundred thousand upwards. It must be quite time consuming to do the audit report if you're uh, not using any sort of analytical tool to to look through the through the document how many how many hours do you would you estimate depends on how complicated but how many hours does it take to actually do that report so there's there's a template that does the majority of it so it is because i have a system (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so the template does the majority of it. What I'm looking for, there were some things I've learned through doing, you know, hundreds of these over the course of the last few years. Um, there were some indicators in the in not just the answers, but the shape of the answers. So there's there's only 20 questions on the audit. Uh, and and you're asked to rate each of the questions that are asked on a scale of, of one to six, one being we're hopeless and six being we're brilliant and something in between. Um, and it's not just the individual answers, but it's the shape of those answers across the uh, across the whole survey that give me some insights into where the business is likely to be. Um, I'll then also just go and look on things like, you know, publicly available data. So look on LinkedIn uh, to get a flavor for uh, who's completed the uh, the form uh, and look at the company's house data on the business uh, where it sits at the moment. So I can just get a bit of a flavor, probably spend about an hour on each one. Okay. And, and it's, you know, so it's not, it's, it's not an enormous amount of time, but it's enough to get um, some early insights that will help direct people and focus on this area rather than that. And if you're focusing on that area, here are some things that you can do that are going to make a difference. Mm. Thank you. Um, so why don't you tell me about your, your book, Intentional Mastery, what it's about, what you're trying to, what you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to show, showcase your skills and expertise for the reader. Sure. So I, I, I started writing the book. Um, it's a kind of a mad moment on my 60th birthday that uh, in a conversation with some business friends, they asked me when I was going to write a book or write down all the things that I knew because, you know, they, basically they were wanting to have something on their bedside table they could refer to when they couldn't get hold of me. Um, and I thought, well, why not? Let's have a go at that. So I started and I, I set out to write stuff down, not really necessarily to write a book, just to um, get on paper some of the things that I knew and some of the things that I know that work in business that are, that are not necessarily that commonly known, that if if they were more commonly known, I think would make a difference to business like uh, what? generally. Well, again, it comes down to those key strategies we've talked about, the, the signposting and sales uh, skills and, and systems. There are elements of each of those where I think a lot of businesses do things in a way that isn't as effective as it could be. And I'll take signposting as an example. Um, over the years, I've watched many businesses whose approach to communicating has been either to leave everything to the last minute and communicate it um, in a rush close to the time they start working with a client or to overload people too early in the sales process with lots and lots of information. And I liken this to, it's partly why I call it signposting. I liken this to driving. Uh, if you were driving from London to Bristol, on the uh, you'd go on the M4. You kind of know you need to get to the M4 when you're in the middle of London. So you head out on the A4, you get on the M4, and if you were driving to Bristol, you wouldn't see a sign that said Bristol for quite a long time. What you'd see is signs that say the West. Mm. And what those signs are doing is telling people that they're on the right road, that they're going in the right direction, but they're not telling them the detail of every turn they're going to have to take along the way. And as you get close to Bristol, you get to the um, 
you know the the roads that lead into Bristol and you start seeing signs you know maybe back once you've passed Swindon that will mention Bristol in detail and then you get to the turn off that you want and you're either going to go down um, you know you might be going down the M5 to go to uh, west of the west of Bristol and so there you get a sign that says Bristol West and again it's about you know you're on the right road and then you take a turning off that takes you into city centre and as you get to the city centre, you see a sign for the car park that you want to park in. So the, the detail comes at the time you need the detail. And so what I encourage businesses to do is think about all of their prospecting and sales marketing. What does somebody need to know right now? Tell them that. Don't tell them everything else yet because they don't need to know. That. They just need to know that you're the right business for them and that they take the next step. And for me... Part of that's the audit. If people fill in the audit, they get some experience of working with me in a very light touch way. They also get some good advice. And if that's the right advice for them, what are they going to do? They're going to come back and talk to me some more. So I've, you know, I've put them on the right road for the people it's right for. And for the people it's not right for, they go, Oh, I'm on the wrong road. I'll turn off and stop, you know, and stop having those conversations. And that's fabulous. Because it means I don't waste my time on on people who who I'm not right for. Yeah, I'm going to take your analogy a little bit further. So the whole idea of signposting, like you're going west and then you get closer, you get to Bristol and then you get Bristol to the city centre. But the use of technology using that analogy is now with Google Maps and with Waze and things like that, that you actually have all of the information on your phone, on your GPS uh, uh, tool in your car. What do you think the role of technology is currently by using that analogy and and like talking to other parts of business of this role of technology in business now? Well, actually, I think the 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 ways or Google Maps or whatever you use for your sat nav, yes, it has got all the information in, but what does it actually tell you? It tells you to turn left here. It tells you what you need to know right now. It doesn't say turn left here, then go 200 yards and turn right, then go four miles and turn left at the roundabout. They, you know, it doesn't give you the whole journey. Mm. It just says turn left. So, and because we know it's going to get us to our destination because we've got the experience of using it, we trust that to give us the information we need at the right time. And when we get to working with customers who've decided to work with us as business owners, I think the same is exactly true. We need to tell those customers what they need to know right now and tell them what they need to know tomorrow, tomorrow, and have systems to help us do that so that we they they learn to trust that they will get the information from us they need at exactly the moment they need it. And if you knew that than your suppliers, wouldn't you wouldn't you be singing their praises from the rooftops and getting more people to go work with them and all of those things that go with that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um Something from this conversation that we've had so far is, and, and it's it's what you describe yourself as a strategic mentor, something that it seems that you are doing very, very well is um, giving that sort of zoom out is what I call it at when you, when, cause when you're running a business, often you're very much in it, you're running it, you're working with people, you're delivering but actually, from what you've said, the audit, and I know that you do the mastery programs and the building better businesses programs, that actually gives the business owner with you, with your support, 
to actually zoom out and actually see the landscape of the market of the business where that actually fits where are the competitors as well so do you think you 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 bring value with the, your strategic view absolutely i mean i think you're absolutely right people get lost in the detail of what they're doing day to day because it's it's important you know let's not get away from the fact you've got emails coming in you've got the phone ringing you've got you know customer looking for whatever it is that you do whether that's providing a widget or providing a service it doesn't matter you've still got that constant pressure of more work to do than there is time to do it and having the opportunity just to step back now and again and generally i work with with most of my clients around about once a month where we'll spend you know a couple of hours uh, just to step back and say where where is everything right now what's going on in the world around you what's coming up that's likely to take you off course and how do we plan to uh, you know work through the next period uh, in a way that's going to get the best result for everyone you know for you from the point of view as a business owner and your your health and well-being but for your customers in terms of the service and the products that you provide and and for the people that they work with that you are then supporting by giving that service too and i think having that view that it's you're not just working with a client or a client company you're working with all the people that they touch as well and and if we get that right and that's why it has to be strategic you have to think at that high level first set the strategy where you're going if you like what are the what are the big aims of the business and then you can break back to what does that mean i need to do now it's a common message isn't it you know doing what you need getting to know what you need to know now now and worrying about what you need to know tomorrow tomorrow absolutely um something that's um so I'm 42. Something that's becoming much more relevant to me and important to me is my health. And you mentioned earlier on one of the sections that you look at when you're reviewing a business is the the health of the business owner. So just talk me through mental health or physical health, uh, uh, how that's important for a business owner. Yeah, and I, I, I tell some stories in the book about my own journey on that front. I, I was. Uh, few years ago quite a lot heavier than i am now uh, i had uh, and i had some consequences of carrying that extra weight i wasn't unfit particularly but i was just carrying weight that i didn't need and i've worked over the course of three or four years to gradually lose that weight and it's one of the things i'd always recommend in terms of any change in fitness for somebody is don't join a gym and try to get fit in a week um mm, mm. gym and try to and 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 aim to be fit over the course of a year or even two, um, but put in the time to make sure that you're making that uh, that journey well. I know if I'm nearly 65. Um, I've got the energy that I had when I was your age, again, uh, because I look after my health. I go out, take, I've got a dog, that helps. Take the dog for a walk every morning, walk a couple of miles before breakfast. Um that may be the only exercise I have time to do, but I make sure that I do it every day. So that, you know, is now a very comfortable couple of miles walk. I'll do that in just over half an hour. So I'm walking at a reasonable pace as well. But when I started doing that, I couldn't have walked at that pace, not a chance. Yeah. You know, it'd be closer to three quarters of an hour, maybe even 50 minutes when I started. But that's my point about doing it regularly, that you get 
better and as you get better and you get fitter so you can you, you stay you save time on everything so i save time on the walk you know maybe 20 minutes shorter now than when i first did it but i also save time because the energy i need to get things done in the business i've got that energy so i can get them done without having you know a real period of downtime because i'm just a bit fitter that helps my mental uh well-being I, they're all connected you know i think what we eat uh, how fit we are as individuals, uh, how emotionally aware we are. You know, do we know what makes us angry? Do we know how to deal with anger when we feel it? Do we know what makes us joyful? And do we know how to deal with joy when we see it? Because, you know, I've come, come across people who have those moments of, of great joy and happiness, but, but don't know what to do with it so that they can harness it and bottle it to keep that, understand how to get it again. Um, so that's some of the work that I do too, is working with people thinking about what's going on in your life and how does that express itself emotionally? And that plays on our mental strength and resilience. It's all connected. Um, yeah. And I, I don't want a therapy session or anything, uh, but I, I, well, one of the things I struggle with is, so I might have a success, have a sale, deliver to a client, whatever it is, do a good podcast, whatever it is. Um, and instead of ever giving myself that time just to go, right, did a good job, well done, sort of like take some sort of time to step out and enjoy that. I'm often on to the next thing, the next podcast, the next business idea, the next uh, delivery, whatever it is that we're doing. Is that something that entrepreneurs struggle with? Because it kind of makes me feel that there's probably something that we don't often smell the roses we're just on to the next step the next task the ne the next doing it's i think it's a symptom of of us all and this is true for all of us all having to-do lists that are longer than the time to do the to-do list in mm. so we know as soon as we finish something we can put the tick on the to-do list but there's another hundred things on there so i've got to just get on with the next one um so there's a couple of tricks um the first is the plan at the beginning of something especially if it's a bigger project, what are you going to do to celebrate it when you have finished it? And put that on the to-do list. Because then you can move on to something on the to-do list. <laughs> There's actually enjoying it. <laughs> and enjoy it. Um, and and the, other, the other thing is the more that you do that, then the more likely you are to want to do it because you get the enjoyment and, and pleasure mm -hmm. from that. So I, there's a number of things that I enjoy. I, I love skiing. I love photography i love being in the mountains uh, and walking so you know even if it's just because you get away from the noise and the bustle and it gives me time to think if i'm up in, in a mountain having a walk so that's what i timetable into uh, as a celebration um now some people will go to the pub and have a you know a bottle of prosecco great that's fine if that's what you what makes you feel great do that yeah um it doesn't matter what the celebration is as long as it's it's building you as an individual and making you feel, I wanted to, I want this feeling again. Yes. And you, know, you hear the, the Formula One drivers or the footballers is what drives them when they're asked that question. It's quite often it's that sense of winning, the feeling of having achieved something and wanting that feeling again. You know, once isn't enough. Let's have this mm -hmm. twice and then three times and then four mm -hmm. times. So that's what I put on your to do list is the thing that you know is going to make you want more of it yeah that's awesome um something that you don't talk about but which is important to me as an entrepreneur as well as a podcaster 
is the role of networking. What's your sort of view strategy on networking for business owners? Well, I'm, I'm a real believer that the, the power in networks is really strong. Um, and the things that other people know, you know, we're having this conversation and sharing a few of the things that we know, but we could probably talk for days or weeks and still not share everything that we know. Mm -hmm. It would take a long time. So there's an enormous amount of knowledge that you've gained over the years you've been on the planet and the years you've been working. Same for me. When you take a room full of people, you know, 30 or 40 people, let's say they've, you know, an average of 20 years work experience each, well, 30 people by 20 years is 600 years of, of <laughs> insight time. and knowledge yeah. in that room. So that's the first thing. There's all of that. There's all the people that they know. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we often, I think, in networking make the mistake of, of thinking about who's in the room. Whereas if you can think about who do the people in the room know mm. um, that I could support or help or that would be useful for me to network with, it's amazing how quickly you can get connected if the reason's good enough uh, with other people. I think networking is really important. It's a massive part of my business strategy is to be involved with networks of people where I know there are common interests, where I know there are people of like mind who, you know, want to share and support and help each other. Um, and the biggest single thing I think you can do to get more from your network is to give more to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. Um, so what's the plan for you, William, William, for the next two to five years? We'll be back after a quick break. The Coaching Conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. Well, in, I'll say I'm, I'm nearly, I'm 65 this year. Um, so in the old world of insurance, I would have probably been forced to retire at that point and leave the industry and put my feet up and watch EastEnders or something. Can't think of anything worse. Um, no offense to anybody who loves EastEnders, just not my thing. So I don't expect that I will stop working, although I think I'm going to get a little bit pickier about who I work with, if I'm honest, uh, and work with people who really excite me, who bring me it's that joy thing again, who bring yeah. me the joy because I know I'm making a difference to them uh, in an area where I uh, can make a, a bigger difference. Um, one of my old clients, for example, has uh, set up a trust that they are using to help um, in a couple of areas. They build floating classrooms in Bangladesh. Uh, they to help educate children uh, in the rainy season. And they're working with groups in South Africa uh, to help young people avoid getting involved in the gangs and things that are going on down there. So really important work. And, you know, I love working with them. So if people are doing something like that, where they're doing work beyond what they just do as a business to 
help others and to make a difference in the wider world, you know, I'd, I'd love to help and understand and work with you to um, support that kind of thing, because I think that's where my journey is going to take me, um, seeing what I can do in a project-based way with uh, things around the world where a little bit of support can make a lot of difference. Absolutely. It's amazing. Uh, look, we're coming to the end of the interview. I ask the same six questions to all my guests. They're quick fire questions. They don't need a quick fire answer. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit thought provoking and this is completely, you're completely unprepared deliberately. Uh, first question is what's the best decision that you've made in your life? Oh, um, yeah, that's a really good question. There's lots of good decisions that I've made. There's plenty of bad ones as well, but let's not go there. Well, we might come uh, to that as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think the best decision I made was to leave the insurance industry when I did. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with the insurance industry, but I was, uh, I'd got enough experience in the industry to be able to build my own business uh, successfully and to then have it go through some of the challenges like the banking crisis, like lockdown and the global pandemic Mm. and thrive through them. Um, Yes, I had to change and adapt, but I think having made the decision to leave insurance in 2001 was the right, was the right time because I had enough experience to do what was coming next. Uh, and also enough humility from the maturity of a few years to know that I was going to mess up quite a lot of the time as well. <laughs> That'd be okay. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've been given? Way back when, when I first had a job in insurance, my then boss, the guy who interviewed me, said to me, there's a lot of people in this industry who take themselves really seriously. Don't be one of them. uh fantastic um who helped you most in your career oh another great question um i I think actually the first client that i had uh when i left the insurance sector (laughs) i'm still in the insurance sector but was the the association of british insurers and i worked there with uh, you know my contact there was an amazing woman who I'm still very much in connection with. She too has left the insurance industry and now works uh, in the Northwest on maternity services, complete change of career path. Um, She and I, you know, struck up a really good working relationship and uh, she's been an influence on me from that time and still is today. Amazing. Tell me about a regret that you have. Yeah, not many. Um, I think my one of the things I talk about this in my book, there was one of the things that uh, I really became aware of about six months after my mother had died um, that made a real difference to my own ability to be emotionally aware. Uh, She died in uh, 2012. Um, So my regret is that I didn't learn that a lot earlier i think it would have been very useful to have learned that a lot earlier but i i also believe it was my mother's parting gift to me um and that maybe i wasn't ready before then and that's why it didn't turn up until that time um so you know who knows um thank you for sharing that uh what are you most proud of 
very proud of the book. Um, it, it's actually the second book that I wrote. Um, I wrote the first draft, read it, and thought, this is great, but it's a bit of a manual. It read a bit like the, you know, a VCR manual or something. It was a set mm. of almost a set of instructions rather than uh, sharing what I knew and why those things were important. So I, I didn't entirely throw it away, but I rewrote the vast majority of it, told a lot more stories, told stories of the people that I have known, the people that I've loved, the people that have been close to me, like my mother and my father, um, and the people that I've helped along the way uh, in the business. And that made it a much more a much more real book for me, but also I think a much more readable book for the readers. Fantastic. What does legacy mean to you? A lot talked about legacy, isn't there? Uh, and it's, you know, it has that strict meaning of being the things that you leave behind when you're gone. Um, I think legacy is more important than that. I think there are plenty of things that I've already done that will, that are out there already living a life of their their own because I've worked with business owners who've gone on and done things that they put down to our work together that have changed their businesses and are changing lives, uh, you know, right now today. And I think that's part of legacy, even though I haven't gone yet. Um, so for me, legacy is, is about passing it on and the it in that can mean whatever it means to you, but find a way to share it with others so that they can take it and run with it and make it their own in their turn. Amazing. I think we could all learn something from that. Um, and lastly, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Well, I, I'm very fortunate in that I have this unusual name, Bust, B-U-I-S-T. Um, you can find me just by Googling that. Um, so williambust.com is the website. If you want to do the audit, put the word audit and a dot in front of williambust.com, and that'll take you straight to the audit. Um, you'll get me on LinkedIn and Facebook and all the usual places as well. Um, and I'd love to connect with any of the listeners who have found today interesting or uh, want to know more. Lovely. Thank you so much for your time today, William. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really, really appreciate your time. A pleasure, Mark. And it's been really fun talking to you as well. And thank you for some great questions. They've been fabulous. Thanks a lot. Cheers. <laughs>